Open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Man, we had a great meeting in Kansas. It was a, I spoke on the gospel, so the social gospel last Sunday, and then Calvinism and the Reformed teaching, and then finished it up with Baptist missions. Why do we do missions and church planting and the work the way that we do? And the Lord really blessed. It was just had a great time there with Ron Jones and with the Temple Baptist Church in El Dorado, Kansas. And so that's a blessing. Um, thank you for praying. It is really a part, when, when I go, that's with the blessing of Grace Baptist Church and the help of Grace Baptist Church. And it's, it's exciting to see what God's doing out of Sydney, Ohio, isn't it? It is fun to see. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, you know, this is Labor Day. And uh, you're glad to have a day off tomorrow? How many of you already started your day off today? I could tell. Let's try that again. How many of you are glad to have a day off tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's interesting when we think of Labor Day and now the labor movement, the, the idea of labor versus management has really taken on a Marxist uh, uh, antagonistic concept. But Labor Day wasn't that at all. As a matter of fact, Grover Cleveland, the president, he was a Democratic president, when he talked about, there, there were already about 30 states that were celebrating a Labor Day when he wanted to make it a national holiday. The, the people that were behind it were pushing what was called republicanism, and they were anti-socialist and anti-anarchist because there were some in the labor movement that were anarchists. They were Marxists, revolutionaries that were trying to undermine the economic structure of the United States. So Labor Day was actually standing in opposition to that because the idea of Marxism is that laborers are oppressed by those who own the capital. When that's just not true. It is not true. If you have a job, we need to be thankful for the job. Isn't that right? So what I want to look at, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. And we're going to contrast this and talk about labor today. Ephesians 4 and verse 28. All right, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him, what's that next word? Labor. labor. Working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Lord, help us to have a good understanding of labor today. And Lord, I'm thankful for the workers that you have brought to Grace Baptist Church and the work ethic that is represented here. Lord, help us to understand the, that that is part of your plan. And uh, Lord, help us to have your understanding of this subject today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Marx had this, he had several theories, and one of his theories was the theory of labor. And so basically, he believed that a person should only do enough labor to provide for their own needs. And so the purpose of employment is to allow the laborer to be well enough to labor. And so he figured that's about five hours a day. And so five hours a day should be enough labor to provide you with enough food, clothing, and shelter. Anything over that five hours a day is profit, and that's evil. Is that the lie meter or something? I don't, 
don't know what that was. Um, so it is interesting because at that time, people might work 12 hours, and if it only took five hours to provide for their needs, then those, seven, those other seven hours were the business owners stealing from the laborers. And there's where that conflict between labor and ownership or labor and management started. And so here, here I'll, just, I'll just read this to you. Not only, so the, his theory of value was that labor is the value of everything. So the analogy that he would use would be if it takes twice as long to make a pair of shoes than it does to make a pair of pants, then a pair of pants should be half the price of a pair of shoes. And it's just so stupid. It, it just violates all kinds of common sense. How many of you understand that not all labor is equal? Right? It takes less skill to do this than it does to handcraft a pair of shoes. How many of you recognize that's a different kind of labor? But in Marxism, all labor is equal. So if a person has a skill... That's not any more valuable than someone who has no skill. So what is the benefit of learning a skill? You see how it just undermines everything. And so in every Marxist society, they stop producing. Um, in uh, Venezuela right now, their inflation rate, someone showed a picture of how much it would cost to buy like a tube of toothpaste. And it was stacks of currency because of the kind of inflation that takes place. And so the government figured out the best way to handle that. And that's to say you can't charge any more than this for than a certain amount. They try to do it with price controls. Well, price controls don't work. You know what price controls produce? A black market. Because a planned economy never works. So another thing that, uh, that Marx believes, so he had his labor, his, his labor theory of value. And then there was this thing called alienation. And I'll just read this to you real quickly. He maintained that the way the market economy is coordinated through the spontaneous purchase and sale of private property dictated by the laws of supply and demand blocks our ability to take control of our individual and collective destinies. Okay, so let me just say this. This will remind you of the barista who works just enough so they can do their deep-sea Romanian folk dancing. You know what I mean? So that they can express themselves. Remember what uh, Nancy Pelosi said when there weren't jobs? That that's good because people can express themselves. Remember when she said that? But it was something like this. They can express themselves. You ever seen her? She does her hands like this. Um, that's Marxism. The idea is that if, if we are controlled by the laws of supply and demand, that that stifles our innate creativity when it's just the opposite. If a person is genuinely creative, that creativity produces something of value. And if people have the means to support that, now they're able to carry out their destiny. Now, there are a lot of creative people, just what they create doesn't have any value. There are artists... And they're artistic in their own right. They're just not good enough to sell it. So what does that mean? That means that the market has determined the value of that product. It's very interesting. There's a reason a Rolls Royce 
costs more than a Yugo. How many of you don't know what a Yugo is? You don't know. That's because they were terrible. And so it's just these laws of supply and demand, they are a part of God's economy. God established private property. God established the work ethic. And what you do in a, in a market-based economy is my labor is worth a certain amount. And I trade my labor for wages. And my labor is to produce something. And then whatever I produce, I'm able to trade that for either currency or another product. And it has to be an equally beneficial exchange or we won't make that exchange. That's what a market economy does. But Marx believed that those laws stifled people and alienate us. So the entire capitalistic system, with its private property, money, market exchange, profit and loss accounting, labor markets, and so on, must be abolished and replaced with a fully planned, self-managed economic system that brings a complete and utter end to exploitation and alienation. A socialist revolution, argued Marx, is inevitable. And so right now in all these primaries, you're seeing socialists and Marxists win primaries because what they're saying to people is, we will give you everything. Where does that come from? You have to take it from someone in order to give it to someone else. And people will not stand for that. You want to see a revolution. You want to see a revolution. Have people come into Shelby County and say, we're going to take everything that you have because you have too much. How well is that going to go over? Do you know what stops that? The Second Amendment. You understand these people would have done this already if they could. Because in a Marxist system, there are very select few that control everything. It never actually works to where everyone is equal. It just does not work. So this idea of labor that is this Marxist idea where labor is a form of slavery is simply not true. So let's look at this. Let's get a biblical understanding of labor. The first thing that I want you to see is the virtue of labor, the virtue of labor. Look at verse 28 again. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So think about this. This theory of labor or the value of labor that Marx tried to put out is five hours because that's all it takes to provide for that person. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for you to do enough work to provide for your own and then have to give to someone else that has need. That's God's plan. And the difference between God's plan and the Marxist plan is the Marxist does it at the point of a gun. And that's kind of the way our taxation works. So right now, if they vote that we're to give money to Planned Parenthood, five, $400 million a year the government gives to Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood does abortions. But if they say, well, that's not coercive. Well, stop paying your taxes then and watch what happens. What's going to happen is people with guns are going to show up at your house and take you to jail. That's robbery. It is robbery, but it's robbery that we have allowed to go on by voting for people that hold to Marxist anti-God principles. And so it's real important that we understand our complicity in this. God wants us not to steal, but to labor. Look at 1 Thessalonians 
I believe it's chapter 5. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Okay, so let me give you which being interpreted is, if you don't want to work, that's fine. Die. You understand if you don't eat, you're going to die. How many of you recognize that? And you, some of you teenagers feel like you're about to die right now because it's time to eat, right? <laughs> So the idea is that if you don't eat, you're going to die. The Bible says very plainly, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. It's amazing how much time people who don't work have to get into your business. Right? Have you ever noticed people that have way too much time on their hands? What do they need to do? They need to work. They need to be working. All right? Now, look at what it says in verse 12. Now, them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Shut your mouth and work. How many of you recognize that that's exactly what that's saying? That doesn't fit into our social gospel concept. You know, the idea of you saying to someone who asks you for money, if you look at them and say, get a job, you understand that that's, that's evil now. You're not supposed to say that. Now, look, if some of you are in trouble, you've been working, you're doing everything right, life comes in and there's hardships that come, we're commanded in the Scriptures to help you, and we will. Amen? We're for that. But if somebody doesn't want to work, that's their choice. By not working, they're choosing to die unless you have a political system or a social structure that is anti-God, anti-Scripture. Labor. Labor is good. So my first point is this, the virtue of labor. The virtue of labor. The Bible commands us, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good. Work is good. Amen? Work is good. It is not a negative thing. And if a man would not work, neither should he eat. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. The virtue of labor. Can you imagine doing this at Yale University or something? Man, those snowflakes would have a heart attack. Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. God instituted work before the fall. Work is not a result of sin. Now, the tending of the garden, they were put out of the garden, but the tending of the world became harder because sin entered into the world. Labor is harder than it would have been in certain cases because there's sin in the world. You all recognize that, right? The thorns and thistles, they all came as a result of the fall. But... The thing to remember, the virtue of labor, that work is a good thing. And you young people, understand this, that all of your training 
is not to get you out of work, is to prepare you to do valuable work. And then in a market economy that's doing well, you're able to choose the kind of work you want to do by the skills that you develop. Right? And so a market economy provides that. You know, there are some economies where it doesn't matter how good you are at something, there's not enough money in the economy to provide for you. That's not that way in our, in our country. We're blessed in the United States of America with a growing, successful economy. Your goal should not be to get out of work. Your goal should be to find whatever work it is that God wants you to do and then do it to His glory. And whatsoever your hand findeth to do, whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Your labor, not with eye service as men pleasers, but unto the Lord. Everything you do is for the Lord. So right now your job is to do your schoolwork as well as possible. If you've graduated, now you're, if you're going into college, do that work. If you're going into a trade, do that work to the glory of God. And let me just tell you something. One's not better than the other. Work is work, and all work is good. And if there are some jobs you don't want to do... I had a job when I was in college. I worked at U.S. Steel for a, this company called Allegheny Industrial Cleaners. And at that time, U.S. Steel had the largest continuous conveyor in the world or in the United States or something. It's way up in the air, and there's this pit that was underneath it, and the axle grease would fall off into that pit, but metal would fall off. My job was to put on waders and get into hip-deep axle grease and dig around in it for the metal. And it was like 30 degrees out. That job stunk. Do you know what I decided I needed to do? Finish school. <laughs> Had another job. I worked for um, RPS. You know, it's like UPS. And I was at their distribution center, and I was in one of these big semi-trailers. And it was the kind that had the space down below the wheel wells. And I was down in there moving things, and all of the boxes fell on me. I got buried by these boxes. Do you know what I decided I needed to do? Finish school because <laughs> I had no other skills. I, I did not want to move those boxes for the rest of my life. Now, let me tell you something. Those guys make pretty good money. There's nothing wrong with delivering packages. That is a great job. If you can get that job, amen, that's a good job. I just didn't want to do that. Do you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to talk. <laughs> oh, man, my jaws are the strongest part of my body. So I had to find a career where I could talk because that's what God made me to do. And so it, it's just interesting. All of that work was good, but God had a job for Jim Alter. God has a job for you guys. But I, I just want you to understand the virtue of labor, the virtue of labor. Not only the virtue of labor, look at the value of it. Look at Hebrew or, uh, Proverbs chapter 10. So the virtue of labor, labor is a good thing. It's not a part of the curse. Labor is a good thing. Dalton, you know, my friend Dalton Robertson, his dad told him one time, I could dress up like a job and scare you to death. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 10. Look at verse 16. The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, but the fruit of the wicked is sin. The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, but the fruit of the wicked to sin. It's interesting that God tells us to work, but there's a kind of work that leads to righteousness and there's a kind of work that leads to wickedness. 
So there are jobs that you shouldn't have. For example, it would be a bad idea for you to go and become a bartender because the Bible says don't hand anybody the strong drink. You're not supposed to hand it to them. So you can't be a godly bartender. Does, does that make sense? Are, are you with me on that? It got real quiet in here. Some of you, your aspiration is to be a bartender. <laughs> oh, man. Pinocchio, be a bartender. Um, look at Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13. Look at verse 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. What's this talking about? How many of you know that when you give somebody something, it has less value than if they earn it? That's exactly what this is talking about. You know, there are a lot of wealthy people that have left their money to their children, and it ruins the children because they never had to earn it. How many of you know that that's true? Now, I would have liked to have experienced that to try it out, but it just didn't work out that way. But it's really important that we understand that the value is so wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. So vanity is nothing. So you get it for nothing. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Look at chapter 14, verse 23. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. So the idea is stop talking and work. And there's profit in all work. Now, it's already been qualified that there's righteous work and there's unrighteous work. But in all righteous work, there's profit. So the, the guy cleaning out that pit of axle grease, that's valuable to that company or they wouldn't be paying for it. Right? Uh, during the uh, Depression, you had the Tennessee Valley Authority. And what they found was they would pay guys to dig a hole and then to fill that hole back in. How many of you have heard of that happening? Do you know what they found out? People quit those jobs. They didn't want to do that work. Why? Because that's not valuable work. There is something to be done. You know, I've often thought that there should never be any trash anywhere on the ground as long as we have people in jail. Right? There should never be a bridge that needs to be painted as long as there are people in jail because we're feeding those people. They ought to work for that. They ought to do more than stamp out license plates. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? There's profit in it. The other thing that would be good is to teach some of those people a skill. How many of you know that you can make a good living painting? You can make a really good living painting. Being an electrician, you make a really good living wiring houses and doing those things. All of those skills are necessary. These people need to learn skills. So there's profit in labor, and that needs to happen. There's profit in all labor. Marx could have read that verse. It would have helped him. Um, look at chapter 23. This is such a good verse. Why do you work? Young people, this is so important for you to get. Proverbs 23, the value of labor. Proverbs 23 and verse 4. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. What's your goal in life? I want to be rich. I, I saw this survey. More than half of millennials believe they're going to be millionaires. <laughs> they can't do math. Do you know how hard it is to earn a million dollars? Just do the math. And your your 
basket weaving class isn't going to do it. And so it's really important that you understand that the purpose of your job is not to make you rich. The purpose of your labor is to provide for your family and to have to give to people who have need. That's what Ephesians says. That's the purpose of your labor, and you bring glory to God in that. If, you're, if the particular labor that you have provides value, you may become wealthy. But just understand, of course, considering the, the, in, in relation to the rest of the world, all of us are wealthy. Amen? Right? That's a given. Please don't forget that. But only a few people can be genuinely wealthy. Why? It's supply and demand. If everything made you wealthy, then you wouldn't be wealthy. You would be the same as everyone else. There are very few things that have the value to give you wealth. For example, a diamond is worth more than just a piece of gravel. Why? Why is that? Because of its rarity and its beauty. Some of you may think gravel's beautiful. Where's Evan Amston? I think Evan thinks that the gravel is beautiful. He was describing to me the differences in the gravel one day. and I'm glad he knows that. I'm glad somebody knows that so our building is, is solid. But I think Christine doesn't want gravel someday. I, I, I don't know. Sorry, did I step on something? So anyway, a little premature maybe. Um, I had been dating Laura for like three months when I met her mom. And I'm older than Laura. And the, one of the first things her mom said to me was, I never thought I'd have a son-in-law so close to my own age. We'd only been dating for like three months. <laughs> that was awesome. Laura loved that. She enjoyed it. Anyway, the value of that diamond is based on its rarity. The value of your work, if you have a skill that is rare and valuable, then you'll be wealthy. Other than that, you're going to be like everybody else. Be content. Amen? Now, man, I hope some of you guys are wealthy. You can pay for the next building. Okay? I would love it if some of you become wealthy. I think that would be fantastic. But if that is your expectation, you're probably going to be disappointed. It's like this. Every kid that begins playing baseball thinks he's going to play in the major leagues. And very few do. Every kid that wants to play basketball, they dream about hitting that shot for a national championship. The chances of you doing that, they're just very, very slim. The, if you ever, some of you guys who play basketball, if you ever get to play against one of those guys, you find out they're probably a different species than you. Physically, you just can't do it. Now, there might be some kids in here and you have that kind of skill. Praise God, I'm all for it. But understand that this Marxist um, concept of participation awards and that all of us are going to be rich. If everyone's rich, then no one's rich. How many of you understand what I mean by that? So there are different skills that allow you to get ahead. But if your goal is to be rich and you don't have a skill to do that, you're going to live your whole life in disappointment and bitterness. You don't labor to be wealthy. You labor to provide for your own and to have to give to other people that have need. And if God has gifted you in a way to where you're able to earn that exceptional income, then you do the same thing. Provide for your own and have to give to those who have need. You establish that. So that's the value of labor. Then I want to talk about the vanity of labor. The vanity of labor. Look at Romans chapter 4. 
the vanity. We looked at the, the virtue of labor and the value of labor, but look at the vanity of labor. <clears throat> you know, there's some people that think they can work their way to heaven. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So justified, that's declared righteous before God. If he could do it because, if he had, uh, because of his works, then he could say, look at what I did. Look at the next verse. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So what that's saying is, if salvation was by works, then God owes you salvation. All right? Verse, look at verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You know, the Calvinist will say that belief is a work. Well, that violates the Scripture. The Bible says right here that, look, verse 5 again, but to him that worketh not, but believeth. So, working, working is different than believing. If you think you can work your way to salvation, that work is in vain. It's empty and it will only take you to a Christless eternity in hell. The only way that any person can ever go to heaven is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So that, that's the vanity of works for salvation. But then, so the vanity of labor. We, so we've looked at the virtue of labor the value of labor, the vanity of labor for salvation, but then the vanity of fruitless ministry. The vanity of fruitless ministry. And I just want to spend a little bit of time on this and we'll be done today. But this is really important. Look at 1 Timothy 5, 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5. So the Bible uses three words to describe the office of the pastor. It uses the word pastor, and that's, that's the idea of the shepherd who protects and feeds the flock. There's the word bishop, and the word bishop, that's overseer of the ministry, so it's my job to make sure the building gets done right, that type of thing, the overseer of the ministry. That's another aspect of the pastor's job. And then elder. The word elder describes the pastor as not being a novice in the word. A pastor needs to know the Bible. He needs to know the Bible. So is there any doubt that Pastor Nathan knows the Bible? No. 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 He knows the Word of God. He is not a novice. That's what that word elder means. It's one who knows the Scriptures and knows God. It doesn't mean his age. So to Timothy, who Paul calls an elder, he also says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. So the word elder, some places in the Bible, it does have to do with age. When it's talking about the office of the pastor, it has to do with him not being a novice, that he knows God and is an example to the believer. Now, there's an aspect of the elder's job that is given for us here in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17. It says this, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who... What's that next word? Labor in the word and in doctrine especially they who labor in the word and in doctrine. Um, sometimes people wonder, what is the job of the pastor? What is the job of the pastor? 
Look, keep your place here. Oh, you don't have to stay in First Timothy. Go to Acts chapter six. Acts 6, verse 1, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. It is so interesting that the same complaints in ministry have always been there. There are always a group of people that feel like they're not getting the attention. You all know what I'm talking about? Okay, so then look at what it says. Then the twelve, so this is the twelve apostles, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves, what's that next word? Continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. To prayer and to the ministry of the word. So we see two aspects of the pastor's job. The first is to labor in the word and in doctrine. So the word and in doctrine. So the word, that's obviously laboring to read the Bible and understand it. The doctrine is putting that scripture together in a way to communicate God's words to people in a way that they can understand what God wants them to do. That's the laboring in the Word and in doctrine. So that's the study, that's the preparation of the sermons, that's that part of it. Then we see there's always work to do in the ministry. So the reason that God ordained deacons for the ministry is so the pastor has time to pray. Let me just tell you something. The, the way that it works right now, it would be unreasonable for us to expect the deacons to oversee the building of the building because it's, it's a full-time job. And they have full-time jobs. So that falls on me right now. But do you know what I find happens to me right now? I don't have time to pray like I need to. I don't have the time right now to study and be in the Word the way that I normally would. And that's just the way that it is. So when this type of work is done, then that visiting of the widows, that being involved in people's lives, the caring for the poor, the caring for the facility, all of those things fall to the deacons. And then the deacons reach out to the people in the church to accomplish those things. That's the way it's supposed to happen so that I have time to study and read and prepare. And that's, that's what my job is. Not only that, so that's one aspect. So the, the laboring in the Word and in doctrine, that's the study and the formulation of sermons. And then we saw the prayer. We'll give ourselves continually to prayer. And then to the ministry of the Word. What's the ministry of the Word? That's the teaching. That's just teaching. So my life is spent studying the Bible, praying, and preaching. That's what my job is. One of the things that's happened in the 20th century and in the 21st century is we became comfortable with limiting a pastor to one congregation and he has to spend his life meeting the needs of that congregation. Show me that in the Bible. That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? God's plan is for the preacher to meet the needs of the congregation the same as the congregation meets the needs of the congregation. 
In other words, I care for you as much as we all care for each other. So whatever you expect of me in the care of the people, that's what I expect of you. Does that make sense? That, that's the idea. We're supposed to care one for another. That's, that's biblical ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, where we started. In the first part of the chapter, in verse 11, it says this, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. So the job, one of my jobs is to teach you how to do the work of the ministry. But I think this will help you, this statement. That's what we pay you for. Have you ever heard a Christian say something like that? That's what we pay you for. No, you pay me to study the Bible and to teach. That's what you pay me for. The work of the ministry, that's I train you and we do that together. Now, this is very important. I don't train Jim to do it and then me not do it. I train him how to do it with me. See, see the difference? That's what discipleship is, where we do the work of the ministry together. And the more that we are all involved in that work of the ministry, the more work gets done. When it all falls on, and it doesn't fall on me, please, I'm not complaining because it doesn't happen, okay? The work does not all fall on me. In churches where all the work falls on the pastor, you get a burned out pastor and dissatisfied people. Discipleship takes care of that. It's so important for us to understand that. But the other aspect of it that's, that's important for you to know is my job is to preach here and wherever I get the opportunity to preach. That's what I do. So I've prepared for 40, I can't believe I can say it out loud, for 40 years to teach. And there, there are just opportunities that I have to teach that is my job. Is that fair? Are you all with me on that? So my job is to minister the word here in Sydney. This is my primary responsibility. But wherever God opens doors for me to preach and teach the Bible, that's my job. And then God has brought Pastor Nathan to Grace Baptist Church. God has brought Tom May and God has brought uh, Patrick Kennedy and God has brought others who can teach and communicate the word of God in this place when God has me teaching somewhere else. You, you see what I'm saying? That's the work of the ministry. That, that's what my job is, is to minister the Word. And that's, that's what I try to give my life to. Um, but notice the heading that I gave this. The vanity of fruitless ministry. Look at Colossians chapter 1. You know, for centuries... Pastors pastored three or four or six churches all at the same time. They'd go to a place and, and minister. And there were always preachers that would travel and preach. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations and now is made manifest to the saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me 
mightily. So this language about the mystery, what is a mystery? This mystery, it's a mystery is something that couldn't be known unless God revealed it. Something that's true that can't be known unless God revealed it. What is the mystery that Paul's talking about? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do we have anybody here that's saved today? All right, so if you're saved, Christ is in you. That's your hope of glory. The job of the minister, the job of the minister of the Word of God is to keep telling you Christ is in you. That's your hope of glory. And then to get the Word of God in you to change you. That's the job of the pastor. That's the job of the minister. To continue talking about the things of God over and over and over again. Communicate those things of God. Now, look at Galatians chapter 4. I've told you my mom and dad went to Bob Jones University and... Bob Jones Sr. would say, um, my father would quote him often, and he would say, um, some of you think I repeat myself because I've gotten old. He said, no, I repeat myself because you haven't gotten it yet. And that's what we, we preachers do. Just say it again, say it again, say it again. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ is in you. Look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 11. This is the way that, that all of us preachers feel. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. You see, all of us want to be effective. All of us want to be fruitful. So if you make an investment with your 401k, you make an investment, you want it to yield an increase. Is that right? But sometimes you can invest in something that's a bust. And what does that mean? You have invested in vain. Not only have you not gained anything, you lost what you invested in it. The only thing that any of us have is time. The only thing I can give you is time. Now, remember, God gave me the time to give you. I didn't create that time. But God, the only thing I can give you is my time. And all of us, you disciplers, how many disciplers do we have in the room today? You disciplers. When you are discipling someone, what you're giving them is you're investing your time your effort in that person. And when you're investing in that person, you can't be investing in someone else at the same time because you're with that person. How many of you understand that math, how that works? Okay? All of us want to be fruitful in ministry. The Apostle Paul's fear for these at, Gal at Galatia was that he was ministering in vain. Why? Look at what it says. Um, verse 8. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. What's, what's he saying? I've taught you the truth. You've been saved. You've been growing. And all of a sudden, you're going back to the way that you used to live. Now, how many of you know that I don't go on Facebook? How many of you know because I've talked about that? Do you know why? I've got like 40 requests on Facebook. I opened a Facebook account to join a sweepstakes for some golf clubs or something years ago. So I have a Facebook account and so I get these requests all the time. And you might be offended because I never respond to the requests. Here's why I'm not on Facebook. I don't want to know what you're doing. 
because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that after you've been taught the truth for years and years and years, that you might be living in a way that shows that you're going back to the world. How many of you have ever seen someone on Facebook that claims to be a Christian and it looks like they're going back into the world? You know what I'm talking about? When I see you at church, I just want to think great things about you. You know, I want to communicate the Word of God to you. One of the, the great fears is that I'll end my life having labored in the Word and in doctrine and administering the Word, and it's been in vain. Do you know what John said? I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. And we're talking about his children. He's talking about the people that he has invested in. That's, that's our goal. That's what we want to accomplish. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Now remember what's going on in 1 Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in the last days. He deals with the second coming of Christ in every chapter. So verse 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, I'm sorry. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother, that's Timothy, and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. So he was suffering, and he didn't want that to discourage the Christians. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Look at this. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. That's the, this, that's the heart of the pastor. There's a, there was a book, it said, Brethren, we are not professionals. It's about preachers. And too many preachers look at, at the ministry as a profession. It's not a profession, it's a calling. And it's a ministry where we invest in you. We, we study the Word of God, we give our lives to God, and we invest in you. And there is nothing greater than when I hear about our young people out at the fair leading people to Christ. When I hear about our college students at Wright State or at Edison or the other schools that you all go to, standing for the Lord. There's nothing better than that. When you guys come and you ask me questions, hey, I was talking to somebody at work, I was talking to somebody at school, and they had this, what, what can I say to them in that situation? There's nothing better than that. That's you standing fast in the Lord. The vanity of fruitless ministry. You know, one of the things about the church growing is that shows that God is blessing. Now, there are churches that grow, and I don't think it is God's blessing. They're growing because they're meeting the, the felt needs of the people rather than telling them exactly what God has for them, right? But we're preaching the truth, and the church is growing. God is blessing. Man, I want that to keep going. 
I want that to continue. How is it going to continue? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 and we'll be done. First Corinthians 15, look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What's my message to you today? Work is good. The, the, the virtue of work, it was before the fall. Work is valuable. It's good for you. It's completely vain to think you can work your way to heaven. But then it's also vain. It's also vain for us to minister to people that simply do not want the truth. Right? Man, I'm so thankful that you all want the truth. I'm so thankful that I preach to people who have their Bibles open and they're taking notes and they're growing and they go out and communicate that to other people. But we've not arrived yet. Amen? So let's be steadfast. Let's be unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because our labor is not in vain in the Lord. When you work for the Lord, it is worth it. When you come back to church, when, if you're doing work on the facility, or when you're teaching a Sunday school class, or you're making a disciple, or you hand out a gospel tract and you say, come to Grace Baptist Church, you might not have a seat, but you'll enjoy it. Now, you can't tell today because it's Labor Day weekend. But there are people that come to church and they don't want to come back because we don't have enough seats. That's why we're building the new building. Keep inviting people. Keep inviting them. Amen? Let's make sure we do it. And then pray for me as God opens doors for me to preach in other places. Can I tell you something? It's hard work. When I travel and I speak in places, I am all day with the preacher, all day teaching people from morning until late at night. But that's what God made me to do. I had to talk, right? That's what God made me to do. He created me to do this. And here, it's really important for you to understand this. I can't do it without you. I can't do it. I can't do it without Pastor Nathan here and the other men holding the rope while I'm gone preaching in other places. But please know, when I'm preaching somewhere else, it's not because I'm neglecting you. It's because I'm fulfilling the calling that God has on my life. How many of you know there are people outside of Sydney that need to hear the message that's preached from Grace Baptist Church's pulpit? That's, it's not because I'm anybody. I'm glad that God has thousands of guys like me, but there's millions of people that need to hear. Does that make sense? There's lots of guys like me. I'm not unique. But there are millions that need to hear. And so that's why, that's why we go. You know what I'm thankful for? Grace Baptist Church is not a fruitless ministry. You guys, watching you grow, watching what's going on. When I watch the generations come along. So, uh, Jay, Ty was you when I came here. There's your future. <laughs> you might have more hair. I'm not sure. But that's right. That's it. That's right. Got to keep it. Um, you, you were Ty. When I came. So now Ty's a deacon, raising his kids to serve the Lord and training other people. Isn't that interesting? That, that's God's plan to watch you guys. I was joking about Evan. I don't know a more godly young man than Evan Amsden. 
to see God work in people's lives. It's so vital. It's so vital. I look at Alan Clutter, years and years and years, caring for Cheyenne, caring for Adam, being faithful. There's nothing better than that. You know, so we have everything from the Zimmermans who've been married for, I think, 125 years now. We have everything. You've been married for 70 years, right? They've been married for 70 years. So we have that all the way down to these young guys that are serving God and being faithful. These young ladies serving God and being faithful. That's the fruit of the ministry. Everything from the Zimmermans all the way down to the young people serving God, growing in the Lord, and God raising up people to take the place of others. So for a while, Jeff Blackford was a deacon. Then he got way too old to do that. And now Ty. Nah, I'm kidding. He raised godly young men, godly sons. And we, ha- we get to have Jet and Ty here serving God in the service because Jeff and Sue gave their hearts to the Lord 40 years ago. That's the fruit of the ministry. That's the idea. So I'm rambling now. The vanity of fruitless ministry. I want to tell you, you're giving so that we can have the facility, so that we can fund missionaries, so that you can pay Pastor Nathan and I. And then you're, you're providing us with, a, with the, the materials, the library, the work, the research, the ability to do that. All of the things that you all do that allow us to do for you and others, that's God's plan for ministry. That's God's plan. Let's just keep going. Labor. So take your day. The rest of the day, you're going to have free. I could have preached for like three hours today because we don't have a service tonight. (laughs) Take today. Rest. Enjoy the day on this Labor Day weekend. Enjoy your day tomorrow. And then when you go back to work, go back serving God. Thankful that you're able to labor. And then next week or whenever it is that we start back up our Wednesday nights, get back plugged into one. Get back plugged into discipleship. Get back plugged into the one-way student ministry. Get back plugged into the Bible study. And let's just continue. And when I'm somewhere preaching and you say, what's pastor doing today? Just know I'm probably somewhere ministering the Word. Or playing golf. One of the two. I just You never know. But just pray for us and keep working and know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? Let's all stand together.